We were not what we were before, but God has made us new. We're continuing this focus on discipleship that involves a personal choice. Jesus calls us to follow him, that, that we must take that choice to follow in obedience, and that through that, God says, I will make you, meaning he will transform, he will change us into fishers of men, into those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I've been really encouraged as I've been looking at uh, the Padlet, and uh, for those of you who you should know what the Padlet is, uh, basically, as I was looking through this, these are all the commitments of people that have been writing in, and... Um, I could read them because they're public. No, I won't read them because they're public, but basically this is really exciting. I've been reading, I was reading even just Saturday and just praying over this. These brothers and sisters from our church, and I was thinking how cool it would be if through the Spirit, like all these goals would, um, would be accomplished, would be met. And I was thinking like, wow, Jesus can, can take these things, these commitments, and multiply their effect like loaves and fishes. I always think of that story, the loaves and fishes, how God just takes that little bit that we have and just blows us away with what he can do uh, through his power. And I, that's how I feel when I look at this. It's like I'm reading these commitments, saying, you know, I just want to read God's word more. I want to memorize God's word. I want to do devotion with my family. I want to, uh, to uh, take care of my body by not having as much boba a day, each day. I mean, even those things, I mean, really, when you read those things and say, these are the commitments that, that, that God's people, that people in our, in our family are making before the Lord to say, God, I really want to take responsibility for spiritual life, that I recognize that, 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 that the spiritual life is not just me receiving from you, it's me putting myself out there by faith in obedience so that God can do his work of transformation. And, and as I look at this, I'm so excited because I think, man, you know, God, even if like one of every uh, of these goals are met, that God is, is actually doing something in the invisible life of the church. And I feel like that's the most important, that there are very real spiritual things going on in the church. Because when I read this, I'm like, you know, you look at the church and it looks like, you know, everything's the same. People are here, ministries are going on. But when I read this, I'm like, oh, but, but so-and-so is, is, is learning from God's word. Oh, but so-and-so is taking, uh, uh, is learning to grow in terms of discipline. And, and the spirit of God is, is changing so-and-so. And so I, I'm really excited. I believe that, that because of this, um, God's going to bless living hope in ways that, that we cannot imagine because there are spiritual changes going on right now among us uh, and people willing to put their, I don't want to say people willing to put their name up on the board, but I mean, sometimes it takes that much to say, I'm putting my name up on the board. I put those commitments up there. I, I, I put myself out there and say, these are the things I'm going to do. Ask me, call me out and, and see if I'm really going to do these things and I can share with you uh, you know, what God has been doing through this. Even if we say, oh, you know, I failed. Like, I didn't, I wanted to memorize this much, you know, of God's word, but I only memorized this much or whatever. But just the fact that we put that out there, allow God to, to work. And I believe that God will bless not just those who have made these commitments, but he's going to bless this whole church. I really do believe he's gonna bless this whole church because of these brothers and sisters and all of us here. And, and I know that there's some who maybe have made commitments, have not put it up here, but um, who are really saying, I'm gonna do something uh, to work with God, to see spiritual change, to say, I'm tired of saying year after year, this area of my life needs to change, but nothing ever happens. I don't do anything about it. This is the year 
I really set it out and I want to do something to show that I'm putting myself out there for God to make a change. <coughs> and it's not too late to get on the Padlet train. It's only six months. God can do a lot. Don't say, oh, well, I missed it. Six months are gone. Hey, God can do a lot in the remaining six months. Honestly, if you say, I'm going to make a commitment in this next six months, I'm going to put it out there, even if it's just one commitment. I know we said it was, uh, uh, now I can't even remember, one, 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 three, one. Even if you just put one, you say, oh, Pastor Harrison, I can't remember what, all these, these commitments. Okay, just put one out there or put two out there. But they have to be very specific and say, I'm going to read my Bible, this, 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 this. I'm going to uh, take care of this particular habit or temptation or struggle in my life by doing this. And just think, I'm going to put that out there before the Lord in these next six months. And, and I'm going to ask God to really transform and change. Change me. And, and not so that I can conquer this, but so that God can be glorified uh, in my life, in this area that, that, that Satan has always had maybe a stronghold or, or, or just a, a little territory of my life. I'm not going to give Satan any more territory. I'm going to give this territory up to God and let him cleanse it and let him take, let Jesus have Lord over it. And so really make that commitment, put it up on the Padlet. If you don't know how to put it up on the Padlet, uh, talk to uh, Paul, where's Paul? Paul, talk to Paul after uh, church and he'll get you on and you can put ever, whatever, you can put it in code language if you want and just tell your friends, say, this is code language so only you know what it is or whatever. But we wanna get up there and, and if it's up there, you know, we're praying for it, we're looking at it. When I look at it, I'm just so encouraged, I'm so excited and I say, oh, so-and-so, I'm praying for them because I really wanna see them, you know, have, have, have some victory, see spiritual power happen in this area of their life. So please do go ahead and, and, and put that up there. Uh, this past week I was at Starbucks and I was sitting across from this guy and he was, he was intently looking at his phone and normally I don't interrupt people when they're on their phone. And so I'm watching him and I say, is he playing a game? Is he texting? And then I kind of leaned over, you know, nosy. I leaned over and I said, are you playing a game? And he said, oh, no, I'm texting my mom and we're trying to decide what to do for Easter. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's a really good lead in. <laughs> so I pulled out my little, I said, oh, I know what you can do for Easter. And I pulled out one of the, I happened to have, I took like five or six flyers. We have flyers in the back, by the way. And uh, I pulled out a flyer and says, hey, I know what you can do for Easter. You can come to church where we're, we have a worship service, invite your mom, and he looked at it and he goes, oh yeah, hey, that's pretty good. So I told he, I, we talked for a while, he knew where the church was, and he said, oh, okay, and so I'm praying for him that he'll come to the church, and then another group of people sat next to me, and I, same thing, just sort of said, hey, you know, uh, my cup says Reverend, Reverend, uh, it says Pastor Harrison on it, so they can say, oh, what's your name? Oh, you're Pastor Harrison, you're a pastor? And I said, oh yeah. By the way, Easter's coming. Would you like to come? <laughs> so I'm giving out these, you know, you know, I'm not allowed to really do it in Starbucks. I mean, because I guess they don't like soliciting, but like if people ask, you know, and I'm sitting at the table and they're saying, oh, you're a pastor, you know, blah, blah, blah. I say, yeah. So I'll just say, here's a flyer. Come to Easter. Come to the Easter thing. I'll turn it over we'll talk about it. So I just really uh, praising God for these opportunities. I actually got to share the gospel with one of the people too, again, and just really can tell, tell them, said, hey, you know, you got to, you know, I open up because on my, my, uh, pat, my thing, I, I can just flip quickly to the gospel and I have all these verses lined up so I can go through it and talk to them about the gospel really quickly uh, in just like one minute and just go through it. And so uh, these are things that I, I think, again, as Easter's coming, we've got another week. 
go out and, and, and ask God to, to be able to share the gospel with somebody, to talk to people, ask them, hey, what are you doing? You know, next week is Easter. You guys don't do anything, you know? Um, come to church or, or you know what Easter's about? We're gonna be celebrating Jesus. So continue to, to use those opportunities to, you know, this is a kind of like an excuse to talk about Jesus because if you do it like on a regular day, people will say, what are you talking about Jesus for? But if you say, hey, Easter is this week. What are you gonna do? Then, you know, there's opportunity to say, oh yeah, that's right, it's Easter. You guys are Christians. You go to church, right? and then you have opportunity to talk about Jesus. So take that opportunity, just, just go for it, just do it. Like I said, I'm not an outgoing person, I'm a very quiet person, but when there's opportunity, man, Spirit of God, just boom, and, and I'm just really excited. So uh, please, please you know, pray and don't say, I'm too shy, I don't have opportunities. Uh, just go and pray and uh, see what God does, see what God does. And if he doesn't open anything up this week, that's fine too, we just keep praying, maybe boo next week, but just, you know, we're there, we're here for the gospel, we're here for Jesus Christ. We believe that there's so many people that we see and um, they're dying without Jesus. Um, they really are. And um, some of them will never hear and never know uh, unless we just speak up, we just speak up. And I was thinking about China and I was reading in the news that uh, if you, you've seen like in, in Guangzhou now, they're giving out uh, uh, reward for anybody who would turn in a Christian. And actually I was talking to a pastor last night and he says the reward goes up. So if you turn in a Christian, you get $1,500. But if you turn in a pastor, you get more money. And if you actually can turn in a missionary, you get even more money. So what they're doing is they're, they're giving incentive to the, to the people in this region to rat out on Christians so that they can arrest them and put them in jail and you know they get money for it. So, so this, I look at this and go, man, this is just terrible. It's so sad. It, it's how desperate that Satan is to, to really uh, 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 discourage the movement of the gospel, the freedom and the truth of Jesus Christ. And to, to, to think that, that if I'm a Christian and I'm worried if I tell somebody that I'm a Christian that they're gonna turn me in for $1,500 and put me in jail, um, I thank God that we don't have to worry about that here. You know, the worst they can do is yell at me and say, I hate you, you guys are blah, 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 but they can't put me in jail. You know, they can't. So praise God. So, hey, let's just go share, let's just go talk. It doesn't matter if people are gonna say, oh, you hate gays, you do this, you blah, blah, blah. We don't hate gays, but as people say, you do this, you do that, you Christians, blah, blah, blah. I, we're not gonna get thrown in jail. We don't have the government going after us trying to, you know, people rat out on us and find our churches and, and, and take us, cart us all off into jail and torture us until we say that we renounce Jesus Christ and, and we're gonna tear down this church and we're not gonna meet again. We don't have those things, right? You know, all we have is just people will make fun of us will yell at us at the worst. And, and I've never had, I've very, had very few people yell at me for being a Christian, even that. And so, so, so really, as we think about Easter, um, as we think about the gospel of Jesus Christ, we just go, we just go, and we just share, and we just talk. And if people don't receive, and if people respond badly, we just say, God bless you, and we just pray. And because we're gonna meet people that are gonna be open to the gospel and we really, really need uh, to be that word, to be that voice of Jesus Christ for these people. Now today we're continuing our series on Jesus and the events that lead up to the death, to his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And today we're gonna be looking at the events 
immediately following uh, the Lord's Supper. And at this point uh, in the Gospel of Luke, things are moving, are moving really rapidly now towards the cross. And in this particular passage that we're gonna look at, uh, the cross of Christ, we're gonna see what the cross of Christ has to say about our common struggles in life. Now we know that faith does not remove the struggles of everyday life. In Jesus, we still get frustrated. All right, we still get tired, we still have deadlines, we still have financial issues, we still get sick. Jesus doesn't change those things. However, in the cross of Christ, we're reminded that many of our physical struggles that we endure week to week can actually have very important spiritual significance. And that's what we wanna look at today. Right after the Lord's Supper, Jesus began to share with his disciples about the spiritual struggles that they are going to face for his sake. And I'd like you to turn with me to Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. So let's stand in reverence for the word of God. And this is Jesus talking to Peter. And he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny him three times, deny three times that you know me. And then going down to verse 39, then he, Jesus, came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like drops, great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now from this passage, we're going to see that the cross of Christ reminds us of the reality of the spiritual struggle. And it also helps us to understand how to face it. You know, the Bible makes it clear that 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 often, physically around us, that there is a, a, a spiritual reality as well that's invisible. We, 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 we simply uh, often look at the visible, but, but Jesus says that there's something even more important. There's an invisible realm, there's a spiritual realm in which uh, spiritual forces are at work. In John chapter three, he said to Nicodemus, he says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born with the Spirit. And see, Jesus is speaking of the spiritual realm. He's speaking about the issues of the soul, the heart, where the spiritual warfare reigns, where the presence of God dwells in our everyday circumstance. And here in Luke chapter 22, uh, Jesus again speaks of this spiritual realm. Now when we read scriptures, we may come to realize that many of our physical struggles, if not all of them, are related to a greater spiritual struggle that oftentimes we're not aware of. And this is important because um, 
When we understand the spiritual dimensions of our physical struggles, uh, we may approach them in a different way. And most importantly, that when we see them and when we deal with the spiritual issues, then we can draw upon the power of Jesus Christ through the Spirit of God. And, and I believe that also, that really, um, when we simply, when we overcome our circumstances, um, we're kind of like in survival mode. It's like, I gotta do this, I gotta take care of this, I gotta overcome this, I gotta, and oh, thank God that we took care of this, thank God that I got through this. And, and, and yet, um, when, we think about the spiritual realities and we address the spiritual realities behind these circumstances, uh, oftentimes God's purpose is then fully realized in our life. We move forward rather than just kind of taking care of, of business. And so our struggles can really lead us to significant spiritual transformation and change. That through our struggles, even the small ones or the seemingly mundane ones, God is making us more like Jesus Christ. I know, I know this sounds like a lot to unpack, but we're gonna go through it in this passage. The first thing we need to understand is that as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to live a spiritual reality in the physical world. Now, if you look at the passage earlier, the disciples were actually involved in this discussion about who's the greatest. And they say, you know, who's the greatest? And Jesus kind of interrupts them and he says, okay, let's talk about this. He says, the kings of the Gentiles, meaning the rulers in this world, exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest. Let the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I among you is the one who serves. Now here Jesus is kind of challenging the basic assumption of the disciples regarding the nature of power and authority. And he says, you know, in the physical world, you see these examples of how people exercise power and authority. But then in verse 26, he says, but not so with you. That's not you guys. He says, rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. And he, he says, these earthly powers are nothing in the spiritual realm. What's really significant, and he talks about in verse 28, he says, you are those, and remember, these are like the disciples. They're not thinking they're really great. But he says, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now again, he's talking to people who like our fishermen, uh, tax collector, uh, things like that, who basically, um, they're not considered people who would rule over the tribe of Israel or a tribe of Israel. But Jesus is saying, hey, there's this spiritual reality that we need to see. He's saying there's a physical world and this is the way power is seen in a physical world. And then there's this spiritual reality. This is you guys in the spirituality. You guys are the ones who are going to be great, who are going to be leaders in the kingdom of God, but it's gonna be really different than what you see in the physical. Um, the spiritual realm is where servants will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So I want you to live in the spiritual realm. And the disciples may say, well, yeah, that's all good for heaven and the kingdom of God where everybody's following Jesus. But, you know, right now we live in the physical world. We deal with these struggles every day. And Jesus says to them, it doesn't matter. 
if you live in the physical world. As followers of Jesus Christ, as citizens of the kingdom, you live according to the spiritual reality right now in the physical world. You don't go, we don't adjust to the things that are going on in this world. We live according to the word of God, according to the spiritual things that are happening right now. We don't wait until we get to heaven and, and where we live with all the saints and everybody's forgiving and everybody's nice. Oh, it's easy to do that. No, we live as servants right now where servants aren't treated very well, where humility is ridiculed, where if we turn the other cheek, we might actually get hit again, where if we love those who persecute us, they're not gonna repent, they're gonna continue to persecute us and consider us a fool. And Jesus says, you continue to live these spiritual truths in this physical world. And we wonder why. Why would Jesus put us through that? He says, hey, because as followers, we, as followers of Jesus, we represent God's kingdom in a world of sin and corruption. The kingdom of God in this world is, is filled with sin and corruption. The real witness of the truth of Jesus Christ is going to be seen in the spiritual life of his followers, of each one of us, how we bring the spiritual truths of God to bear on the world right now, no matter what the cost is going to be, no matter how we're going to be received, no matter what's gonna to happen to us, we bring the life of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the honor of Jesus to our workplace, to our homes, to our schools, to everywhere we live and move in this world. And again, if the world persecutes us, if the world laughs at us, if the world yells at us, if the world goes after us, so be it, so let the world do so. Jesus calls us to live according to this spiritual reality that this is truth. This leads us to our second point, that our greatest struggle will always be spiritual. See, Jesus wants um, the disciples to know that, that these struggles are not random occurrences. In verse 31, Jesus turns to uh, Peter and he says, Simon, which is uh, Peter's name, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, Jesus is saying to Peter, which, you know, I hate to be Peter at that time, but he says, Satan is zeroing in on you. And you're not just gonna be attacked, you're gonna be sifted. Now, I always wonder what sifted means because when I was growing up sifting, I, my, my mom had this uh, flour sifter, right? And it's like this metal cup like this with a little handle and a trigger and you pull it and there's these blades on the bottom and they, they go like this and they sift the flour. So in my mind growing up, I kept thinking, oh, Satan's gonna throw me in a giant thing and he's gonna cut me up with blades, you know? And I kept thinking of that, oh, that sounds terrible, you know? Um, but actually, uh, obviously in Israel they don't have sifters. What they're thinking of is like when you sift grain, you throw the grain up in the air and the chaff, which is the light stuff, which is the nothing, gets blown into the wind and whatever is left, the grain falls on the ground. So that what's, that's what the image he's using. And so what he's saying, Satan wants to sift you, is he's saying Satan thinks that you don't have anything of good. Just like Satan says, Job's not that good, you know. And he says, Satan's gonna take you and sift you, and he's gonna say that all your Christian beliefs and everything you say is gonna be blown into the wind. It's gonna be nothing. And whatever falls to the ground is gonna be nothing. 
And so he's saying, Satan wants to sift you. He wants to refine you. He wants to test you because he doesn't believe that your faith actually is real. That's really what, um, what Jesus is saying that Satan wants to do. He's calling us out. He's saying, you're a fake. Everything you believe about Jesus Christ is fake. You're not real. You just say it, but when trials come, you're just going to fall away. Nothing, you, know, you, you don't have any faith. You know, when I was growing up, and I've told this story many times. I've told this story to the youth. that When I was in junior high, I didn't know when I became a Christian that being Christian was unpopular. So I, I wrote Jesus is Lord. When I became a Christian in junior high, I wrote Jesus is Lord just in little letters on my, um, we used to have notebooks at that time, just paper spiral notebooks. And I wrote Jesus is Lord, just wrote it on there because it was kind of nice and all my Christian friends had it at the church, you know. So I'm sitting in, in uh, uh, physics class with this and my best friend, okay, remember, I'm not, I, none of my friends are Christian. My best friend leans over on the desk and he looks at it and he, and he reads it really loud. He goes, Jesus is Lord, and he goes, hey, Harry, are you a Christian? You're not a Christian, right? Did someone write that on your thing? I said, no, I wrote it. And he picked up my notebook and he lifted it up in the air. This is in the middle of class. Well, this is, class is just starting. And he goes, hey, guess what, everybody? Harry's a Christian. And then they all started laughing, you know, things like that. And then later on, it was like literally in the next few months, my friends, it was their mission to prove that I was not a Christian. And one of the big things that, that, I, that really changed, like the most visible thing that really changed when I became a Christian is I didn't swear. Okay, I used to have a really pretty, you know, use a lot of colorful metaphors when I was young. And the moment I became a Christian, I just stopped cold. And so my friends would, what they would do, and these are my friends, they would deliberately get me mad. They would deliberately taunt me because they knew that before I was a Christian, if they taunt me, they're going to get a mouthful of profanity a lot. And uh, they would taunt me, and I'd just smile, and they'd say, come on, Harry, you know you want to say it. And I'd say, you know, playing tennis, I was on the tennis team, and you lose a point for this. My partner, he served the ball right into my head. I mean, I was his partner at the net, and he served the ball right into my head. And I turned around, and he goes, you know you want to say it, don't you? And I'm like, not going to say it, you know, and so, but eventually they, they accepted that I'm a Christian, um, and life just went on, and they, they realized, okay, this change is real, you know, it's not just some words that he wrote on a notebook, so what if you would imagine, what if you look at every struggle in life, every uh, difficult interpersonal interaction, every roadblock, every interruption as an opportunity to really show that we trust in God. That we say, that what we say about God and our faith, that it's real. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we don't get help when it's available, but we need to realize that in this world, often in our struggles, it's really Satan singling us out, saying that, that as followers of Jesus Christ, I want to sift you like wheat, and I want to prove that what, what you believe is not real. I want to prove that you really don't believe in Jesus' promises and in his teachings, and that's why he tests us. That's why he, he goes after us. That's why Jesus says, I want to pray for your faith that your faith will not fail. When we say, I believe that treasures in heaven are more important than treasures on earth, Satan's gonna say, oh, well, have I got a trial for you? Just wait till you do your taxes and find out how much money you owe. Or just wait till, you know, your kid gets in a car accident and you're gonna have to buy a new car or another car. 
and see how you think about that. And we're like, oh. When we say, oh, we believe that true religion is the care for widows and the orphans, that this pleases God, Satan goes, oh yeah? Well, I'm gonna sift you. I'm gonna bring that really difficult child right into your classroom and make it hard for you. I'm gonna bring that ungrateful person that after you serve them and they're so ungrateful and see if you still love them and you'll still care for them. If we say, well, I'm gonna follow Jesus and I'm gonna put the needs of others above my own. That's, that's what Jesus said, you know, be humble. Put the needs of others above my own. And Satan says, okay, I'm gonna sift you. Let's see how humble you are when your child has a meltdown right in public embarrassing you in front of everyone. Let's see what happens when, when you get into an argument or a blow up with your spouse this week. Let's see how, how much you're willing to serve and love and ask for forgiveness. That's what Satan is saying, I'm gonna test and sift you. When we say spiritual things are more important to me that I love Jesus with all my heart, Satan says, well, okay, uh, uh, I'm gonna, this week, I'm gonna make it so busy for you that you can't read your Bible. I'm gonna put you in situations where you're gonna have to choose between whether you care for your spiritual life or you care for your own life and your own needs and what you wanna do. And let's see what you do now. That's Satan sifting us. We say, I believe God calls me to be holy unto him. Satan says, okay, well, I'm gonna pound you with temptation this week in the worst possible time and see if you really stand for Jesus Christ. What if every struggle we looked at was an opportunity to show that we really trust in God? How would that change? How would that change what you do? Now the good news is that Jesus let the disciples know that even in failure, there's restoration. That, that we are going to fail sometimes. That's why Jesus is praying for us right now. If you look at verse 32, Jesus says to Peter, he says, um, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So it's really interesting here. Uh, Jesus is saying uh, that your faith is actually, I'm gonna pray for you that your faith may not fail, but your faith is gonna fail because he says when you turn again, meaning when you turn from the way that you we're going and turn back and repent, you can strengthen your brothers. And so Jesus is already telling Peter, before anything happens, uh, you're gonna fail. You see, that implies that, 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 that failures will come along the way as we try to, as, as, our, as our faith is being tested, that, that failure is an unavoidable part of this spiritual struggle. And in fact, it's in the restoration, as Jesus says, I'm praying for you, that when you have turned back, you will strengthen your brothers, that in that restoration, um, uh, God's purposes are going to be done. And Peter, of course, he doesn't get it. He says, Jesus, I'm not gonna fail, are you kidding? He says, I'm willing to go to prison, even to death uh, for you. And we're like, oh, don't say that, you know. It's like, don't say that, you know what's gonna happen now. And it's like, you know, two years, two, two hours after, after Peter says these things, basically, he's already failed miserably. And you know, Jesus calls it. He says, you know, you're gonna deny me. And see here, the thing is, is the main idea is not, it's okay to fail. I mean, yeah, we've, we're going to fail. 
But the main idea here is that no matter how strong and ready we think we are, without Jesus, we're, we're no match for the spiritual struggle ahead. We need Jesus. We need to walk with Jesus. We need to, to be with him at every moment. You look at the disciples, and even from a physical standpoint, from the minute Jesus is taken from them, they just scatter, like everything is, it falls apart. And so this is this idea that, 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 that we need Jesus every step of the way. We need to walk with Jesus closely because these struggles um, are spiritual and they're overwhelming and they can only be done with the power of the Spirit working in our lives. Now, what this means to us is, as we think about application is, man, look, look after your spiritual life more than anything else in the world. Kingdom struggles are not just about getting things done, overcoming our circumstances. The, the, the real kingdom struggle is faith, is what about our faith? That's, that's the thing that, that the Satan's gonna be sifting so whatever we can do to strengthen, to store up, to shore up, to, to deepen our relationship with God, these will pay huge dividends in everyday life. Why? Because we know the main struggle is not the physical, it is the spiritual. If we have a strong spiritual life, if we are praying people, if we are growing in our faith, then when we face uh, financial issues, when we face interpersonal struggles, when we face health issues, when we face all all these different struggles, all the more um, we're going to have that strength, that power of God to fight that spiritual battle that is the one that, that really Satan is going after. And so we see, we've seen that, that we call to, to live out spiritual realities in the physical world. We've seen that, that it is the spiritual struggle that is the most important issue in our lives. Finally, we want to look at, really, the good news is that, that Jesus has struggled on our behalf. Um, we, we come to Jesus now. He's in the garden, and it's here where we see this intensity of this spiritual struggle, I mean, physically working out in Jesus' life. I mean, look at this, and you think about this. Now, this is, this is Jesus, the Son of God, the person who created the universe, okay, that's Jesus, created the universe. And it says, he came out, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And when he withdrew from that, about a stone froze away, he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like drops of, great drops of blood falling from the ground. Now, when I'm reading this and I'm thinking, wow, you know, like it's Jesus struggling. Jesus like sweating. You know, normally when you think people are cool, there's no sweat, like, there's no sweat, you know. And, but you know when people sweat, you kind of look and they say, man, that person's struggling. Um, and Jesus is sweating great drops like blood falling to the ground. And, and why? Because this is a spiritual struggle. This is not just a physical struggle like I'm going to be nailed to the cross. This is the spiritual struggle that he is enduring as Satan is attacking him, as, as, as God's will is about to be fulfilled. God even has to send angels 
to, to care for Jesus, and, and he's saying, God, if there's any way to be spared from the suffering, uh, please do so, and, 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 and yet he says, um, he says that, um, not your will, but not my will, but your will be done. And, and you get this picture that the, 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 the physical struggles and hardships that we face, and I'm not belittling them, okay? Some very, very terrible physical struggles that we face. But in comparison to the struggle in the spiritual realm, I mean, these are the things that, that even Jesus himself was sweating. And, and, and Jesus in this moment, he's exemplifying for us you know, what he's calling every follower of Jesus Christ to do. And that is really to, 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 be, to, to come before the Father on the altar of prayer and, and, and really fight this spiritual battle on our knees. Verse 45 says, and when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples, found them sleeping from sorrow. He said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter temptation. And uh, here's the thing that's really interesting because you see this, this contrast. You see like uh, Jesus and he is sweating drops like blood. And then you see the disciples and they're sleeping. And you may say, oh, well, this teaches us that the disciples are stupid. No, it doesn't teach you that. What it teaches you is that in a sense, Jesus has struggled for us. Because it does say that the, the disciples were, were sleeping for their sorrow. They're really sorrow. They're, they're, they're overwhelmed by the sorrow. They're sad in their hearts and, and they're overwhelmed and they're sleeping. And, and, and Jesus is, is staying up at night and he is wrestling in prayer that God's will is going to be done. See, in the spiritual struggle, we need to realize also that Jesus really does all the heavy lifting. Jesus, he died on the cross for us. And he gave his body, his blood, uh, so that his struggle brings us victory. I mean, you really think about it. Um, we don't have to struggle to earn our salvation. Isn't that great? I mean, you really think about that? How many people in this world are trying to struggle for their salvation, like their entire lives? They give up their entire lives to find salvation and they don't even know. They don't even know if they're gonna get it and they won't. We don't have to struggle to earn our salvation. We don't have to work to make up for our sin. That's really something. We have complete forgiveness. Again, do you know how many people struggle to find forgiveness? even just for one thing that they did, for one person. It tears their life apart. How much struggle that is. We don't have to struggle for forgiveness. We don't have to defeat Satan and his schemes at all. We don't have to struggle to make ourselves a new creation in Christ. All these things Jesus, um, Jesus did for us. He's the one that fought. This was the struggle when he was sweating drops of blood, when he was dying on the cross. He was fighting that struggle to, 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 get our, to win our salvation, to, to accomplish our salvation, to bring all the forgiveness of our sin, to defeat Satan 
on, on, on the cross and, 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 and take away all his power to, uh, uh, to make us a new creation in Christ that never is going to be taken away from us. All these things, that's what Jesus was struggling for. And now the struggle is over. He's resurrected. We are called now to just to live this life of new creation, to live the victory that was accomplished for us on the cross, to worship, to love, to obey uh, through the Spirit of God. And Jesus says, I'm praying for you that you complete this work, you finish this work and struggle that I started on the cross for you, all these things, and I'm going to finish this work that I did for you. I promise you, I'm going to finish this work until the day that I come. That's Easter. That's what we are excited about. The struggle, we face the struggles and we face the issues this week even. Perhaps there are many of us, we're going to go this week and we're going to face those struggles. We're going to face those circumstances and those things are not going to change. But what is going to change is the idea that, that we know that spiritually, um, Satan is not going to do anything to us. That if this is going to be a test of my faith, and how much that I love God and, and trust God and his promises, that these are the things that I'm going to be thinking about and praying about and, 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 and concentrating my effort on so that when Satan says, you don't know what you're talking about, I say, no, I know exactly what I'm talking about. Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my King, and you're dead. You, you're judged already, you have no, no, nothing to ask, nothing to say to me. When Satan says, you know, uh, I'm gonna tempt you with this, we say, hey, you know, I'm a new creation. Sin is dead. And you have no, no part in my life right now. These are the things. This is why, um, this is what it means to be a new creation, to celebrate Easter, the victory that, that Jesus has accomplished, the struggle that he has accomplished so that we might be able to meet our struggles day to day and learn from Jesus Christ and, and grow in our faith and show, not just not show Satan, Satan, we don't care about Satan, show the world that Jesus is real. Now, next week is Easter, so I want to put some questions out there that I want us to really kind of consider and think about as, and not just think about, to really do. And that is, first question is, what is the most prominent personal struggle that, that I have right now? What am I really struggling with right now? I mean, just really ask yourself, what's the most prominent struggle that I'm really dealing with right now. It doesn't have to be the greatest one or whatever. It's just the one that comes to your mind. If I say, what are you struggling with right now? What comes to your mind? Second thing I want you to ask, what is the main spiritual issue that is at the root of this struggle? Is there an area in my life that, that, that God is trying to really push right now, to grow right now? And that may be the reason why I'm going through this struggle. Then the third thing I want us to do is, what's one practical thing I can do to begin this work of transformation in my life? Jesus does the work of transformation, Holy Spirit does the work, but we gotta do something to, to get that transformation going. What am I gonna do? We don't just sit back and say, God, I have this terrible struggle of sin, so go ahead and go for it. No, God says, you gotta do something, you gotta obey, you gotta honor my word. You would do the things that my word has already said, uh, these are the things to do, and, uh, and as you do them, the Spirit of God is going to give you that power of transformation. So what's one practical thing that I can do to begin this work of transformation? And the fourth thing, this is important too, um, what do I need to see that says Jesus is at work? What evidence of change am I looking at? And I, I think this is kind of important because we want to kind of say, okay, well, what's going to show that, that I actually, that God is actually 
you know, working in my life that I'm actually doing something. For example, you know, let's say uh, my most prominent struggle right now is my children. They're just driving me nuts, okay? Not my children, but if we say, for example, if it's our children, say, our children are driving us nuts, it's really hard, I'm going crazy. Say, well, what's the main spiritual struggle? The main spiritual struggle is, you know what, God, the main spiritual struggle is it reflects bad on me. I feel bad. I feel like I'm a bad parent. I feel bad about myself. I feel like everybody else thinks that I'm not that good because uh, my kids are not that good or my kids are not as good as so-and-so's kids. And I feel like, oh, you know, I feel bad. So what's one practical thing I can do to begin to help that transformation? I don't know. Maybe I hold my tongue when I feel like complaining, especially over things that are not worth complaining about. We say, this week I'm going to hold my tongue. When, I, when normally I, my normal response is going to be complain or, or lash out, and I'm not going to do it. And what do I need to see that says Jesus is at work? And I say, well, maybe this week, if I look back at this week, are there less times when I said things that I regret? And then I could see that. Another example, we would say, well, money. Money's always been a problem. I'm really struggling with money, and, and especially with tax times, paying off the taxes. I didn't realize I had to pay this much taxes, or blah, blah, blah. I'm getting mad because I'm giving all this money to the government. And oh, man, that's my struggle right now. And I got to pay this and this and so and so. Uh, and then we say, well, what's the, what's the spiritual struggle behind that? Oh, well, the spiritual struggle is I'm greedy. Or not, I'm greedy. I mean, I'm not greedy. We say, well, maybe the spiritual struggle is I don't think I'm going to have enough. I don't know if God's going to provide for me. Oh, that's something I need to really, that is a spiritual struggle. So what am I going to do practically? Oh, you know what I'm going to do practically? I'm going to give. I'm going to take money that I have and I'm going to give to somebody who's in need, in more need than me. I'm going to do exactly the opposite of what this world would do, save everything and stop spending. I'm going to actually give. And then uh, what, what can I see that uh, changes? Well, I'm gonna see that I still have a house and food and I'm still happy next week. And it wasn't a terrible disaster. Or my thought life, we say my thought life is hard. You know, I, I have struggles with my thought life. Well, why, why is that? What's the spiritual root? It's spiritual root is I'm just sinful. I like entertainment that's I, my, my, my thoughts are just bad and we say well what's a practical thing I can do well maybe I need to not watch things maybe it's oh you know I'm watching things or I'm involved in things that are putting bad input into my life so I'm going to stop doing that but what's the evidence well next week my mind is actually feels a lot better I feel like my mind is not worried about all these terrible things anymore my mind actually thinking about spiritual things. Those are the evidence. So, so really take some time, pray, and just say, hey, what are, especially Easter, what are the things, what's God really putting on my heart, and what am I going to do, and what can I see that says God's really going to change uh, this area of my life? And let's, let's have that, and you can put it on the padlet if you want to do that, uh, but let's go ahead and let's, let's spend some time in, in quietness before the Lord right now. Let's go ahead and bow before the Lord. And Father, we just thank you and praise you so much because indeed you have fought the fight for us. You have struggled and, and provided salvation. And so Father, now we want to come to you and say we uh, commit ourselves again to just walk in faith with you. When we fall, when we turn back, we know that you will continue to use us uh, to strengthen the other brothers and sisters, Lord. 
As a father, may we not grow weary. May your spirit be with us with great power, even this week. May we see victory. May we, see, may we actually see change and, tra- change and transformation, even this week, Lord. So we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.